0: Today we're reading Nahum. It only has three chapters, and those are the three chapters that we'll read today. An introduction to Nahum is found in verse 1. The Burden of Nineveh, the Book of the Visions of Nahum the Elkashite. Nahum one introduces the Book of Nahum. It's an oracle, meaning in the King James Version, called a burden. It's an oracle against Nineveh. Nineveh was the seat of the Assyrian Empire who overcame Israel in 721 BC. They also overcame Judah, but uh, were never able to penetrate Jerusalem. Names prophesying between the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel, to the Assyrians, and the final fall of the southern kingdom, Judah, to the Babylonians. And since Ethiopia and Egypt are seen as having already fallen to the Assyrians in Nahum chapter 3 verse 9, it seems likely that this prophecy was issued after 664 B.C. following the demise of Egypt. Babylon was able to break free from the Assyrians in 626 B.C. The Assyrian Empire itself fell to the Babylonians in 609 B.C. So this oracle was given prior to that event. We don't know anything about Nahum beyond what's written in this book. He probably lived in Judah at the time of the writing, but that's not certain either. The location of his hometown cannot be determined with any certainty. So let's begin reading now with Nahum chapter 1. We've already read verse 1, so beginning now with the verse 2. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth, and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea, and maketh it dry, and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth, and Carmel, and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him, and the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation, and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies." What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. for While they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down, when he shall pass through." Though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds in sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. "...behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off." God had spared Nineveh a century before when Jonah went to them and preached. At that time they received the message of salvation. But you know how corruption is. A century later, here we are facing the same societal rejection of God— By comparison, consider how much America and Europe changed socially between 1900 and 2000. These verses are aimed squarely at Nineveh's sin, and many scholars are certain that verse 11 is a direct reference to Sennacherib, king of Assyria, when Nahum writes this. He says, There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. If that's a direct reference to Sennacherib, then verses 12 and 13 are specific to Sennacherib as well. Where There we have a quick word to Judah about the Assyrians' dominance over them and its soon cessation. It was Sennacherib who marched into Israel and Judah, but failed to overcome Jerusalem. That's recorded in Second Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles 32, and Isaiah chapters 36 and 37. That, coupled with the two verses that follow, would seem to quite conclusively refer to Sennacherib specifically. However, there's a problem with that assumption. And uh, well, let me tell you about it. Here's what makes that prophecy particularly interesting. King Josiah began his reign over Jerusalem in 640 B.C. That's recorded in 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34. He was only 8 years old at the time, but he began seeking the Lord himself when he was 16. And he began making reforms when he was 20. Even though the northern kingdom and Judah, except for Jerusalem, had been conquered by the Assyrians 80 or so years earlier... Josiah pulled them all together with his reforms. Due to Assyria's weakened hold on the territory after the Babylonian revolt in 626 B.C., Josiah actually was able to unify them, one Israel, just as in the old days. With that in mind, look closely at verse 13, which says, For now will I break his yoke from off thee, and will burst thy bonds in sunder. Now, if that's speaking directly of Sennacherib, who was assassinated in 681 B.C., Then the complete fulfillment of this prophecy takes place over the next 61 years when Josiah's unification project came to fruition. However, we see in Nahum chapter 3 verse 9 that Ethiopia and Egypt had been conquered by Assyria, apparently previous to the writing of this prophecy. We know from extra-biblical sources that Egypt didn't fall until 664 BC, 17 years after the death of Sennacherib. So it seems more likely that while Sennacherib may be implied in Nahum's prophecy here, his death had already taken place. Sennacherib's failed attempt at conquering Jerusalem had made him the poster child for God's power during this portion of Israel's history. In verses 14 and 15, we see Nahum pronounce the end to Assyria. Verse 15 is again directed to Judah, the good news that Assyria's days are numbered. Then we see the destruction of Nineveh in chapter 2, verse 1. He that dasheth in pieces has come up before thy face. Keep the munition, watch the way, make thy loins strong, fortify thy power mightily. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel, for the emptiers have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. The shield of his mighty men is made red, the valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation, and the fir-trees shall be terribly shaken. The chariots shall rage in the streets, they shall jostle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like torches, they shall run like the lightnings. He shall recount his worthies, they shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof, and the defense shall be prepared. The gates of the river shall be opened, and the palace shall be dissolved." And a husband shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, tabering upon their breast. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water. Yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry, but none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture." She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together. And much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Where is the dwelling of the loins, and the feeding place of the young lions? Where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions whelped, and none made them afraid? The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps, and strangled for his lioness, and filled his holes with prey, and his dens with raven. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messenger shall no more be heard. Now, this chapter prophesies the complete destruction of Nineveh. That's the seat of the Assyrians. As we said earlier, they fell to the Babylonians in 609 B.C., and this was written at some point prior to that event. It's believed that a here was queen of Assyria. Her capture is prophesied in verse 7. Complete destruction is prophesied in verse 10 when it says, She's empty and void and waste, and the heart melteth, and the knees smite together, and much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. The capital city is pictured as the lion's den here in verses 11 and 12. Now in chapter 3 we see that they're not just defeated, but humiliated. Verse 1. Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not, the noise of a whip, and the noise of the rattling of the wheels, and of the prancing horses, and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear, and there is a multitude of slain, and a great number of carcasses, and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot the mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? Art thou better than populous no that was situate among the rivers, that had waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lubim were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets." And they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken, thou shalt be hid, thou shalt also seek strength because of the enemy. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold thy people in the midst of thee are women, the gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee waters for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the cankerworm, Make thyself many as the locust." Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The cankerworm spoileth and flieth away. Thy crown are as the locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people are scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. There is no healing of thy bruise, thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee, for upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually. Well, the bloody city of verse 1 is a reference to Nineveh. That's the seat of the Assyrian empire. This is validated when Nineveh is mentioned by name in verse 7. Mere defeat is not enough for those Assyrians. Only utter humiliation will do. For these bad, bad people, as we see in verse 6 when it says, And I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and make thee vile, and will set thee as a gazing stock. Their future is compared to the helplessness of Ethiopia and Egypt in verse 9, and they'd been conquered by the Assyrians in 664 BC. Notice all the humiliating references made about the demise of Assyria in this chapter. There's a politically incorrect reference, at least by today's standards, to fighting women in verse 13. Fighting women were considered nearly useless during that era. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walter.